Don't get fooled by cut rate networks. Verizon is America's only number one network according to Root Metrics. Join today and get up to $650 when you trade in your phone to cover your cost to switch. Verizon, better matters. New smartphone device payment purchase important and required. Get up to $650 prepaid card for installment plan balance less trade in value after $350 prepaid card for early termination fees less trade in value. Trade in must be in good working and cosmetic condition and be worth more than $0. Line must remain active for six months subject to VZW agreements calling plan and credit approval. Rankings based on 2016 first half Root Metrics U.S. National Root Score Report of four mobile networks. Results may vary. Visit RootMetrics.com. Hello, everyone. Today, we are talking about a really difficult topic. We're talking about domestic violence. And to start the show, I'm going to read something that um, recently a couple of cases have come to my attention. I've talked about my own experiences with domestic violence for a very long time. And recently a couple of cases have come to my attention that need to be addressed, I think, because um, they're really mind-boggling. So, dear Austin, Texas, decades ago I was a very young mother in Austin. I was married to a very abusive man who beat me up regularly. On one particular occasion I ran to a police car parked on the side of the road and begged the officer to help me. He replied, I'm sorry, this seems to be a family matter, and these things are best handled within the family. I returned to my abuser. Keep in mind, these were in the days before battered women's shelters. My family was not at all supportive, and I could not return home. It took me many, many years before I could leave that abusive situation for good. Now, fast forward three-plus decades, and things have certainly changed. And for the most part, I would say they've changed for the best. Domestic violence is being taken seriously, as it should be. There is a lot of help for people who are victims. However, as I said at the top of the show, it would seem in some areas things may have gone horribly wrong in the opposite direction. In one recent case involving... Child Protective Services, a husband badly beat up his wife in front of their young children. He was arrested. The wife remained in the home they shared with the kids. She wanted to leave, but the oldest child wasn't her. It was a stepchild. She was told she could not legally leave that home and take the child legally. In addition, this particular stepchild has had serious issues with telling lies, with thinking that if his stepmother wasn't around, his mother would be around. There are a number of things going on. Since the child's mother is absent, there wasn't anyone to take care of that child. So this victim stayed with the kids. The husband returned home. The family and extended family had already begun making arrangements for a residential treatment for him and counseling for the family. But Child Protective Services arrived and determined that wasn't enough and decided to remove the kids from the home. When the wife decided to leave the home with her baby, and let the older kid go with his grandparents or whoever would take him, CPS decided she had to be supervised with her child, even though she was the victim in this domestic abuse incident. In researching the reasons for that determination, it was discovered this was due to something the stepson said. He later admitted he thought if he got his stepmother in trouble, his real mother would return. In doing further research, an attorney found out the CPS investigator didn't even know this was a stepchild. And they were using the fact that this woman stayed in the house with both kids as probable cause not realizing she legally couldn't take that older kid. So they didn't do their investigation. I discovered so many other similar stories in the Austin area. 
While I completely agree it is necessary and the right decision oftentimes in domestic violence to remove children, especially from a dangerous situation. It seems like CPS in this area are looking at all parents as being unworthy unless proven otherwise. This does not help protect children. What it does is it makes victims of domestic violence less likely to report abuse for fear they will lose their kids. Now, these days, so many families are blended families. And in speaking with several different attorneys involving CPS in Austin, situations involving stepkids trying to get the step-parent in trouble because they think somehow that will make their parents reconcile is so much more common these days than you would think. Clearly, these kids need counseling. Clearly, everyone in a domestic violence situation needs counseling. But punishing the victim isn't going to help. I don't have the answers. I can tell you, as a recovered abuse victim myself, I am happy domestic violence is being taken seriously. However, when CPS seems to run rampant and punishes victims, it ultimately makes the situation worse, and that alone undoes all the good we've worked so hard for for decades. So, Lisa, what do you think about all of this? I know we've talked a little bit about it, um, and there are some other other circumstances, other situations that I know you and I have talked about that I haven't talked about yet on this show. But, but what, are, what are your feelings on this? Good morning, Kelly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, so good morning. The, you know... It really sucks all around for everyone, and I know that's such a, a common word. The I don't know. I I hate to hear what this family is going through, um, based on one statement. I feel that while they were in the process of removing the children from the home, that they could have gone further into their investigation to discover that this child's mom is an absent mom and, you know, that she isn't, a, you know, just not even from being absent, but some of the things with her lifestyle make her a not-so-good parent and, you know, really look into it more than just having this interview and then all of a sudden, you know, papers thrown in the air and everybody's getting shuffled around and that's like the end of it until, you know, they go through this process and continue the investigation even outside. Because once the, the children were determined to be removed from the home, those CPS workers didn't leave that house. And there was probably right. several other things going on, phone calls being made and whatnot. So I feel that the rash decision, I get why they did what they did. If they feel that a child is in danger, then they need to, you know, assist that child. But the way that they went about it, I feel was completely unorganized, um, unprofessional, and you know, as you said at the beginning of the show, it could make even more people more fearful in in situations because they don't want to lose their child so they don't come forward. Well, and having been in a domestic violence situation myself, I can tell you the victim in these cases feels less than human. The victim feels like on some level they must deserve that treatment. The victim feels like they don't have the right to make a decision or have the right to a normal life. So when you're dealing with a victim who already has such horrible, horrible sense of self-esteem and has such a very low opinion of themselves and has just such a, a horrible time with life to begin with because they've put themselves in that situation. And then you have an organization that is supposed to be protecting victims and they make the situation worse. I think 
the damage is so far reaching. You know, on one hand, and this this was just one case where, where stepchildren were involved. On another hand, it was even worse, if it's if you can believe that, than this situation in the fact that this was a girl, teenage girl, who was told by a step-parent to change clothes. She couldn't go to school that way. She was mad because he wouldn't let her wear what she wanted to wear, so she went to school telling people that he was abusing her, he was sexually molesting her, he was flirting with her, he was doing all of these things that were completely unfounded. And she did that because she was angry, because she wanted to wear what she wanted to wear. And how dare this person who took her father's place tell her she couldn't. You know, in that case, this poor man nearly lost everything Three children were taken from the home, and later, months and months later, this man had already been in jail for 30 days for something he didn't do. Months and months later, this girl says, oh, yeah, I made that all up. And what happened to her? Nothing. So there are many cases where it seems like maybe CPS needs better training, Maybe they need to pay a little bit closer attention or do a little bit more investigating before they make their determinations because once I found the first case, once the first case was brought to my attention, I found case after case after case after case. And there are lawsuits pending right now because CPS has overreached. So how do we find middle ground? Clearly, children need to be protected. No one is saying kids don't need protection. But at the same time, what do we do with what looks to me, from my perspective, looks like we have an entire generation of children who are borderline personality disorders? You know, when I was a young child, it would have never occurred to me to make up lies about an adult. But these days, more and more and more kids seem to be doing that. So where are they getting that from? And how do we make sure that Child Protective Services employees get the training they need in order to look through that? I, you know, I don't know, but it seems like there there needs to be a middle ground. There needs to be something between authorities saying, oh, that's a family matter, we're not going to get involved, and, okay, we're involved, we're going to take over your entire life and take all the children away and raise them ourselves and dictate what you're going to do for the next five years and, and ruin your entire life and your family. And it seems like in many cases, in the Austin area, that's what's happening. The later is happening. And my fear, having been through an experience with abuse and, and being abused, my fear is that we have come so far in encouraging victims to step forward that these cases, and whether it is a rogue CPS supervisor or whether it is their normal policy but when when people talk about these things, and believe me, they do, we're talking about it on the air. You know, many people have spoken about this on news in Austin, I learned last night. When this becomes commonplace, where you know and people know, well, wow, if CPS gets involved, then I'm going to lose my kids, so I'm just going to take these beatings. We're going backwards. So what do we do? Thoughts? Anybody? I mean, I, seriously, I don't know what we do. It's a complicated issue. I think we lost Lisa. Call in right now and give us their feedback because you know, I I don't know what to do, and I'm not in the situation of 
the CPS workers, and as of now, I haven't been in the situation where CPS has had to come to my home personally. Um, not to say that that might never happen. I have two stepdaughters, and my son is still, you know, young enough to go through the I hate my mommy stage. So I don't, you know, I, I don't know what I would do in the situation if that ever, you know, was something that happened to me where CPS had to get involved for my children. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer. I, I feel, yeah, it just, I, like I, I said a little earlier, though, is during the removal process, it doesn't happen in five minutes. It, it takes to happen. Um, something else could have been done. More questions, you know, uh, contacting character people. Um, I know there was someone who was asked to leave the house um, and had contact with the child afterwards. It would have been really nice if they had taken that conversation into consideration. I don't even know if he was able to talk to the CPS workers after that because um, they could have definitely had more conversation with the child to discover that, you know, he's going through a lot. And instead of removing all of the children from the home and destroying the family, they could have, you know, put this, made it mandatory that CPS makes it mandatory to have this child go to counseling, and they would still do follow-ups later and right. still keep the file open while this kid is going to counseling. I mean, they, they, this was bad on so many levels. And I know there right. were so many small variances that even had this that, – that, even had this situation occur, but that's that's my thought process. Is yeah. you know th- there wasn't enough done on that same day. Well, I, I think too, and in, in many cases that I discovered, um, they didn't even know who belonged in the house and who didn't be- belong in the house. When I was looking at cases, there was one case where CPS came in, the um, wife, again, was the victim, and their house, the family home, had been the home where all the neighborhood kids congregated. So there were extra kids in the house when CPS showed up. And the CPS investigator would not allow anyone to leave the house. So there were other kids in the home that were crying and upset because they didn't live there (laughs) and they were being grilled. So I think on some level, um, the investigators who went in, they didn't even bother to say which kids live here and which kids don't. They just started grilling all the kids. And that was a case where the parents of one of the kids who happened to be at the house when CPS arrived, they are suing Child Protective Services also, I'm told. So it seems like there are a number of failures area that should really be looked at on a deeper level. My concern is with the victims. And in any abuse situation, the victim needs to feel like if they gather the courage to step forward and say, this is happening to me and it's not okay, they should be met with support rather than, okay, let's see how miserable we can really make your life. And that seems to be what's, what's happening. And that's, that's my concern is that victims are going to stop coming forward. Right. You know, and and that's not what we need to do. What we need to do is take a step back and realize, number one, everyone is an individual. Every circumstance is different. Every family is made up of very unique people and very unique situations. And with blended families so prevalent, And with child psychologists, I actually spoke with a child psychologist yesterday about this and and why are so many children coming up with these horrible things to say about the step. And child psychologists have said, you know, this seems to be an epidemic. This younger generation seems to tend towards narcissism. 
where it's all about what they want, what they want to do, and, um, you know, what do we do about that? But that is a situation CPS, again, needs to be aware of. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking this is training that is needed. But beyond that, I think it's also we need to teach our children better. You know, teach your children it's not okay to hit people. Teach your kids it's not okay to to hate people. Teach your kids that they need to learn how to react in an appropriate manner and not, you know, go off to deep end and start punching and throwing things. Because if we teach our kids how to be civilized children, my feeling is that they're going to grow into being civilized adults. And there are so many areas where you can look at abuse situations. And some of them, yes, this person is just mean. You know, in my case, my ex-husband was just mean. He was just a bitter, angry person. If he was drinking, he was more bitter, but even when he was stone cold sober, he was mean. He was angry. And it took years and years and years of anger management and counseling and self-exploration for him to begin to resemble something approaching, say, say um, you know, what I would call a normal compassionate human being. But sometimes abuse happens out of the blue. It's a bizarre situation. It's triggered by alcohol. It's triggered by drugs. It's triggered oftentimes, and I found several cases, where the abuser began their violent episodes after the death of one of their parents. What that tells me is people need to learn coping skills. (laughs) Everyone goes through hard times. Everyone goes through grief. Everyone goes through some stressful thing, no matter what it is. And violence is never the answer, especially not where children are involved. One of the cases I wanted to talk about, because I find that one particularly preposterous, is, um, again, this was a blended family. And the husband, who, again, was the abuser, he had already entered a residential treatment facility, had been gone from the home for 10 days after the violent episode. CPS showed up, decided to remove the kids from the house because one of the stepkids said, I don't like it here. There's too much drama and I just I just want to go. Based on that statement, and yeah, what drama would there be? Gee, you know, there was a violent episode, your dad's gone. Of course, there's drama for this child. But based on that, all the kids were removed. The wife, the victim, she was the victim. The kids were not harmed in this violent episode. It was just the wife. She called the police herself. She reported it herself. Ten days later, CPS shows up, talks to the kids. One of the stepkids says, I don't like it here. There's too much drama. They decide to take all the children away and put them in foster care. The same kid threw a fit in foster care and kept throwing a fit until they realized this kid wanted to go live with their mom the whole time. Exactly know how to express that. This man wasn't even in the house. Yeah, the kid was the drama. The kid was the drama. And you know what was really bizarre? I talked talked to this couple's... um, attorney last night as well and I we don't know names or or on any of these things because they're ongoing cases but um, in that case (laughs) 
what the, the violent episode was originally about was that kid. Because the wife said, this kid needs to be in counseling. And the husband said, there's nothing wrong with my kid. I'll handle it. And that's what with the violent episode started. So in that case, the kid was, was the drama. The kid was the trigger. Now, that does not justify in any sense of the imagination what happened, because no one should ever be violent with anyone else, in my opinion. The point of that story is because I think maybe Child Protective Services is kind of in over their head with how kids are these days. You know, where are kids getting these ideas? I don't know. Is it video games? Is it movies they watch? You know, every kid is wired for sound these days. You know, they're constantly being exposed to things. You asked the question. I had to interject real quick. They learn it from school and from other people. I've had several um, situations where I needed to be – a character witness for um, people for CPS. And, you know, it's something that these kids learn in school that, you know, parents are where parents from a parent's perspective now, and not just a, an, a, an, you know, this is supposed to be about domestic violence, but um, from a parent perspective, there are times we're scared to death to do things because we know our kids can pick up and call CPS. And now they're in our lives for the next 90 days investigating us. And it's like, is my home clean enough? Are my kids neglected? You know, do they have enough food in the refrigerator? I mean, there's all these things that are taken into consideration when, when they come into your home and, and it's, you know, for parents, if you live in fear of your children calling CPS, maybe you need to figure out what that child needs in a different manner. I feel that I don't ever have to fear my children calling CPS on me because I listen to my kids. And I feel that if, they're, if they need something, not in a bratty way, not in a spoiling them way, but um, I have open communication with my fiancé about his children, and he has open communication to me about my children. And if, you know, I feel that there's a situation, I talk about it, I talk to the kids about it, I find out if there's something that they need, um, you know, and he and I even talk, like, do we feel like we need to get the other parents involved for counseling or things along those lines? And I feel that if you live in fear that your kids are going to call CPS, maybe there's a shift that you need to make so that you don't have to live in that fear. But it's, it's out right. there, Kelly. It's absolutely I, out there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. If you live in fear that, you know, your kids are going to call CPS, there's, there's, you know, probably an issue there. It should be looked at. But um, most of the cases that I found, now there, there was one where um, a child actually reported the domestic violence that I found. But most of the cases I found, it was, someone outside of the family calling either CPS directly or the police because of an abuse case. Um, But I think, and, you know, because I've studied psychology, I probably, that probably has a lot to do with it. I think everyone can benefit from counseling. (laughs) I really do. Because in, in this day and age, it seems like there's so many hate crimes and there's so many people that are anxious and anxiety is running rampant and depression and, you know, violence. And I I really think 99% of the the public could benefit greatly from counseling. (laughs) But when it's a situation where CPS is involved as a result of a violent event, do you think that, they go into those situations looking for a problem. Do you think maybe that's what they're doing? I don't think they go in looking for a problem. I think they know that there's a problem there. And then they go in with the underlying problem and then find other problems. Because I, I think, um, I, you know, my opinion, and it's only my opinion, 
is in many of these cases, and I can't tell you how late I was up researching cases that different attorneys and, and marriage counselors were sending me. It was ridiculous. And, you know, you, I, I made two calls and put, made one post on social media and was inundated with things. But um, it seems like in many of these cases, the children were either not present during the violent episode between spouses or um, in one case it was a violent thing that didn't even involve the spouse. It was somebody else. A guy actually got into a, a bar brawl and CPS went to that house with the intention within five minutes of arriving saying they were going to take the kids. It didn't even happen in the home. It wasn't even involving the spouse and this guy on that instance. Now, usually somebody's in a bar brawl, they've done it before. But this guy had no prior record of any violent outbursts. But because it was alcohol-related, because it was in a bar, and because he was arrested for assault, CPS went into that situation immediately saying we're removing the children from the home. In my opinion, that's overreaching. Yes, kids need to be protected. I am not saying kids don't need to be protected. But I think maybe they need to look at each situation as being an individual event rather than painting everyone with the same broad brush. You know, I, I, I again, I don't, I don't have the answers. I just... I, I think it's a discussion that needs to be had, and that's why I'm doing the show. That's why I did my earlier show this morning about the same thing, because I think when when you make victims afraid of coming forward, you create a lot more opportunity for children to become abused. In my experience... Most domestic violence starts between the adults. It does not normally start with involving the children, although I am certain there are exceptions to that. But even in my own case, it started with me. It started with my then husband hitting me. And that's where it ended and for a very long time, for years. When he finally did strike out at, at my daughter, I left. But because I had been so abused for so long, I had no self-esteem. I had no help. I was horrified by the situation I found myself in. Most victims feel very similarly. And what I really, really take offense here in, in most of these situations, not all of them. I did find some where I was like, yeah, I'd take that kid too. But you know, in many of these situations, it's, um, it's punishing the victim. And who is that helping? You know, there, there are many cases that CPS went through and removed kids from the home and then the kids were in a foster care system, which was not ideal. And the kids ended up committing crimes later. Well, is that inherited? Were the kids abused because they were, were the kids abusers because they've been abused? Yeah, sometimes that happens, it does. Or was it because CPS just said, okay, we're taking the kids. Okay, we're done with that case. All right, got those kids out of that bad situation. Great. Kids are perfect now. No, those kids need counseling now. That's the thing that I, that I dislike. And in the case we started talking about, even though alcohol was involved and even though Counseling, the family had already made arrangements for counseling. CPS said that wasn't enough and they would handle it. 
And when the victim, who is now being punished by CPS, said, when do I see the counselor? They said, oh, we don't have any counseling for you. That's not protecting anyone. And I think what is happening in a lot of these cases, and there was one lovely, lovely attorney who sent me a brief history of one particular child who was taken from the home by CPS who went into foster care and had never got counseling and ended up is now serving prison, a prison term. They were a product of the foster care system. CPS removed that child from the home and never saw that they got counseling. And this is my point. If you are going to break up a family, if you are going to, for the good of the children, remove them from the home, don't you think once you have taken that responsibility, you need to take full responsibility for making sure that child is okay and gets the help they need? Absolutely. I think there's a problem with the follow-up. Like you said, cases closed, we're moving on to the next one, and there's no, there's no process after that. And my understanding is if you take a foster child into your home, you rescind to help you pay for that foster child's expenses. Um, why isn't there a system set up to where, you know, we're requiring that that foster parent also has that child in counseling? And we're giving right. – I don't know the system, you know, all that much. I know that we have advocates um, here in San Antonio in particular. There is a uh, an organization where you can go and be an advocate for children. You can um, – you know, help them through any court cases and, and whatnot. You are like a you know a guardian angel for this kid, and, and um, but you know that's usually during the process. I don't know what happens after. I, and, and see that that's the, from the research that I was able to receive. And one of the things that attorney after attorney told me it, what, that's appalling is CPS in this particular area tends to be very quick to remove children and very slow on providing any care for them. Um, I know years and years ago I was a foster parent. And I had many kids in my care that were taken away from their parents. And I know I had to fight tooth and nail to get those kids into counseling. That's not happening, you know. It, 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 that's, we're letting the kids down. They're saying we're removing the kids from a bad situation, but then they're on their own. Oh, and by the way, we are also at the same time punishing the victim because we don't care about the victim of domestic violence. We only care about the children that probably were not involved in the domestic dispute. And I see a problem with that on a number of levels. Um, I also know many people go into becoming foster parents, and I know the classes I went through was filled. They were absolutely full classes because of that stipend you mentioned. People become right. foster parents because it's a second job. And it might not be the best fit for those children. Or You hear the horror stories all the time about children yeah. in and out of foster care. And the parents, the, the foster parents weren't any better than the real parents. Right. Or sometimes you know, the match isn't right. Yeah, right. And sometimes the match isn't right. So this kid is bounced from house to house because it's, it is a check in the mail for a lot of people. I'm not saying everybody, please don't send the mail. We know we're not speaking about everybody. There are, we're, we're honing in on those cases that we know of that you hear about all the time. And that's the problem. And, you know, what do you do? How do you fix the right. problem? Well, I think there certainly needs to be additional training. And, you know, maybe I, I, I'm just, you know, big on training. But I really think kids are different today than they were, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, I know in many of the cases we've been talking about, the um, ultimate supervisor, the CPS supervisor, was the one that made the ultimate call 
um, case after case that I looked at in the notes, it said when the investigator arrived, um, they had already made the determination before interviewing anyone that they would be removing the kids, that that was what was best. And unless a child has been directly injured, unless a child has been abused, um, if it's if it's a case where most domestic violence cases are the husband beats up the wife, I think the worst thing you can do for anything, because those kids are already traumatized. Those kids are traumatized because their mom's injured. I think the worst thing you can do is go in and punish the victim by removing the kids. Because what that tells the kids is that mom, uh, mom gets beaten up by dad and the police want the kids. That's what it tells the kids. It teaches kids not to trust authority. Right. It teaches kids not to stick up to them for themselves. It teaches kids how to be victims. I want to go back to something that you said just a few minutes ago about the supervisor. Most of yeah. the time, the supervisor never steps foot in the home, doesn't interview the family. Right. They're just reading a piece of paper and right. you know, making a decision with no interaction whatsoever with the family. And I think that's a right. problem, too. I understand well, why they have that policy in place, but I think it's a problem. It is a problem. And there was, uh, and that's kind of what I was alluding to before, is it was the investigator had vetted a relative to be the in-home supervisor in a particular situation. It was all set up. They were there. The bedroom had been arranged so that they could live there. And the investigator called the supervisor and says, I've got it all worked out. Everything's going to be great. Everybody's happy with it. It's a solution we can all live with. And the supervisor said, no, remove the kids. So why, to me, that tells me the investigator doesn't know how to do their job. So why are they working for CPS if they're able to do their job? Yeah, that, that's crazy. Well, yeah, that's crazy that that whole situation happened, and, and it's going back to the supervisor is not there. And in the case right. where the supervisor said, no, remove the kids, I'm pretty sure it's one of the situations that we've already been talking about where turning out to not be, you know, um, a case at all, um, yeah, that's – I don't know which one you're referring to, so I don't know all the, well, the details yeah, there. there, but there were, yeah, like that. Yeah, that, it, it just it made no sense to me. And that happened three times, and, yes, it is the same supervisor, where the investigator had gone in and made arrangements for the kids to stay with the mom, and the supervisor overrode them and said, no, remove the kids. It was the same supervisor three times in three different cases. I'm having serious connection problems. You are. Sorry. You keep fading in and out. <laughs> I had no idea what you just said to me. I, we're, we're experiencing some rolling clouds. I think we're going to have a storm today. So my connection is not really good. I had no idea what you just said. Oh, no. I said it, that was in three different cases that happened, and it was the same supervisor oh, okay. each time. And oh, to okay. me, that raises a red flag to me about that supervisor. That's not a solution. Yeah, that's not that's not the solution all the time. That's, I know they have their hands full. Sounds like I'm oh, yeah. excuses. I know they have their hands full, and I know that supervisors can't be there all of the time. And you know, but for when you walk into a home and you see these children and you see these families, and you're seeing inside the home and and really a picture of how they live, you have this thing called gut instinct. And a supervisor can't follow that gut instinct by reading a piece of paper or listening to a phone conversation. There's so right. much more to it than that. Not every child needs to be removed from the home. I know one particular case we talked about, they had already set up counseling and um, some other things that they were going to do, and, and the supervisor said, no, take the kids out of the home. And that's just mind-blowing because the experience, you know, wasn't towards the kids. 
Um, there, right. I know several people here in San Antonio who have had some sort of situation happen to them, and um, they are still with their families. Because right. going back to the guy who got in the bar brawl, you know, I've, right. I've had contact with several people who have had some similar experience in that, and they're still with their families. No right. children were removed from the home. No families were destroyed. Now, I'm not saying that that's um, a good thing. Don't go get into bar brawls or anything like that. But, you know, <laughs> <it's>, there's, <laughs> there's, there's still the cohesiveness of now, are they healing from that particular situation? Yeah, maybe, you know. Um, is there still a process where maybe people need counseling to include the people who weren't directly involved in the situation? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, it's they're still intact. So for CPS in this particular area to have so many cases, I don't know if you went, went outside of the of the Austin, Texas area, but there yeah. seems to be an issue. And and I don't know of anything here in San in San Antonio. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but yeah, it's kind of mind blowing that that it keeps occurring. Yeah, yeah, and it, what what really struck me is that the same supervisor is involved in so many of these cases. Um, you know, and when you're consistently making snap judgments about the future of children, like it appears from these cases that people have sent me details of, that the supervisor does, I think that needs a closer look because what ultimately is happening is people are going to stop reporting domestic abuse. And then we're going right back to 1955, you know, when it was a family thing because people are going to be just afraid. You know, it's, it's like, well, don't call CPS because they'll take your kids. Don't call the police. They'll call CPS and they'll take your kids. Right. The thing, you know, the one thing that of all the cases that I saw, the one that really shocked me the most was when it was a fake call. It was a disgruntled ex-employee. He had been fired from his job. And he called CPS and made a false report. And the people lost their children based only on a false report. That tells me there's a serious issue. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, domestic abuse is real. And it affects people's lives. And I can tell you for a fact that my experience with domestic violence has in some way or another shaped every single aspect of who I am and who I ultimately will become. It should never happen to anyone. And I don't want anyone to to take this this show as us saying don't report this because this will happen. But I think it's something we need to talk about because in this case, in this area, it seems to be happening all too often. You know, when I was a foster parent and going through the classes, it was we try our best to keep families intact. It was if it was a child is being abused, absolutely we would step in. You know, CPS would step in. But they would right. teach us in classes. Our priority is the family. Our priority is creating a healthy family. And when you make people afraid of authority, that makes people violent. You know, that that leads to people not trusting authority and not respecting authority. You know, many of these kids who go through this situation have issues respecting authority in the first place because they've right. seen, you know, one parent hit the other. 
so when you further complicate the issue by destroying families rather than trying to help them, it, it just leads to a really, really, really bad thing all the way around. And, and ultimately, if this kind of thing continues, what's going to happen is people are in that area. And, and watch it. Watch the news. I bet you this is going to happen. I'm, I'm going to write it on my calendar so I look at it. Five years from now, probably three years from now, Somebody in Austin, Texas is going to make a startling announcement about how domestic abuse cases have plummeted. And they're going to tout it as the greatest thing ever. When what's really happened is domestic abuse cases aren't being reported because people think their kids are going to be taken away if they do. That's just something to think about. So how do you recover from abuse? Let's, let's move on. How do you recover from abuse? How do you recover from that situation? How do you rediscover yourself? Well, what I did was lots of counseling. <laughs> but it starts with making a decision that what you've gone through isn't who you are. I can guarantee you that while everything I went through shaped who I am, I'm a very different person. You can get through it. And I hope everyone in these cases we've been discussing does get through it. But it takes a lot of work. It's not overnight. You have to be truly committed to getting through it, truly committed to changing and to realize what an amazingly wonderful divine being you are. And for someone who has been beaten down so low that they've lost their entire sense of self and then have had a system come in and punish them for being a victim, it's an unfathomable amount of recovery that needs to be done. So if you find yourself in this situation, get help. Find a counselor. You know, we used to tell people, talk to a clergy member, talk to a, a trusted advisor. And through the years, that advice, while it's still sound, and it's always great to have a sounding board for things, sometimes they don't give the best advice. So seek professional help. Find a counselor that has worked with victims of domestic violence before. There are many, many people who specialize in that area. Do not be afraid to talk about what you're going through. That was my biggest obstacle to getting out of that situation myself, was I was terrified of what people would think, what would I do, where would I go. You know, there are any number of things that goes through a victim's mind. All of them relate in some way or another to fear. You know, for a very long time, I was convinced that even though I was out of my domestic abuse situation, even though my daughter was safe, I was convinced someday, somehow, at some moment in time, something catastrophic was going to happen. I lived like that for many, many, many years because it took me that long to recover from what I had gone through. You live your life waiting for the other shoe to drop. In many of these cases, now men do get abused as well. Don't want to think it's all about women getting abused because men do get abused as well. And unfortunately, so do kids. But in many cases of the women I've worked with who have gone through domestic abuse, 
they never knew what was going to set off their abuser. They were living their life like they were walking on eggshells. And when you get out of that situation, you're lost. Like, oh, my God, nobody's here to tell me what to do. Nobody's here to tell me how horrible I am. Nobody's, you know, no, nobody's hitting me because I, I say something, you know, and, and it's a situation that unless you've been through it, you don't know what it's like. It takes a long time to recover from. You can do it. It is baby steps. We say that all the time on the show. It is baby steps. It is putting one foot in front of the other. When I finally broke free of my abuser, the first thing I did was buy a Hershey bar. That trivial little thing, which I think was about 30 cents at the time, but that trivial little thing was something I did because I realized for the first time in many years I had free will. And that wasn't something I was ever able to do when I was with my abuser. I worked and I ran a business and yet I had no control over the money. That is a very, very common scenario with particularly women in these situations. I had to learn how to balance a checkbook because he had never, well, he didn't balance it either. I mean, you know, he just spent it. (laughs) But I had no idea how to be an adult because he didn't allow me to grow. And many of these formerly abused women, especially women, although I have met one man who did the same, who had the same experience, um, they're sort of stunted. Their growth has been stunted. They're an adult, but they're not really an adult. You know, they don't feel like they're even people. And sometimes something as simple as a candy bar. One woman that I've worked with for, well, I did work with her for many years. I don't really work with her anymore because she is doing very well. Her big thing was a barrette, a hair barrette. You know, find that one thing, that one small thing that you've been deprived of that you've wanted and give it to yourself. I know one woman who got a haircut because her her abuser would never allow her to cut her hair. The first thing she did was get a haircut. You know, whatever it is that makes you start to feel a little bit better, do that. And keep moving in the direction of feeling better. And I can guarantee you there's going to be days when you're curled up in a ball in the corner of the room or on your couch sobbing because you can't believe that you've gone through that experience. It takes a long time. Be patient with yourself. Don't try to make too many changes at the same time because you'll get overwhelmed. And when you're really, really angry, allow yourself to be really, really angry because that means you're moving in the right direction. When you stop internalizing everything you've been through and thinking it's somehow your fault and it was something you deserved, when you stop that and you start becoming angry with your abuser, you're you're on your way. You know, we we normally don't talk on this show about how anger is a good thing. But sometimes, depending on where you're coming from, anger is a really good thing. Because when you're angry at your abuser, you're starting to realize you never deserved that treatment. You know, that was never who you were. And then you can start putting yourself back together. Get your kids into counseling. 
if you've gone through an abusive situation, even if your kids were never hit, they've gone through it with you. Children have a really strong bond with their parents. They will know what you've been feeling, and they will feel horrible at your treatment. Get them into counseling. I think sometimes the reason the cycle of abuse runs in families is because of the lack of counseling, the lack of coping mechanisms, you know, the, the lack of really trying to fix the problem. You know, people can be redeemed. My abuser, my ex-husband, has actually grown into a really nice guy. It took a lot of work on his part, but he made it. So don't think that the abuser can't be redeemed either. People change. People grow. Allow it to happen. But take care of yourself. If you've been abused, take care of yourself. Take care of your kids. Don't worry about your abuser. So often, and I know I did this myself, the victim feels so bad when their abuser gets arrested. Your heart breaks for them because you've attached your entire life to that person. Take your lives back. Go go inside yourself. Do some soul searching. Find out who you are and allow your light to shine. Because one thing domestic violence does is it steals people's light. And it makes them less than who they are. And whether you've had a horrible experience with with CPS, whether you've never been abused, whether you have been abused, but it was a long time ago, even if you were an abused child, you can become everything you want to be. And one final thought I want to leave you guys with is um, if you see domestic violence, if you're a witness to domestic violence, step up, say something, get involved, and stay involved. Because one thing that I have learned through the, the research into these cases, when someone else makes the report who is not a family member, that person can literally become a hero. That person can become a lifeline to the road back, the road through recovery and to reclaiming your life. Or that person can end up being just the instigator that starts a whole downward spiral. So step up and stay involved. Send a card. Are you okay? Stop by and don't say anything. Just stop by and and listen. Be aware. Because if you step up, if you make that decision to step up, which everyone should do, you have to realize you have the potential to transform lives and to make them whole again. And in every case that I looked at, where that person stayed involved, didn't just make a call and run screaming, where that person stayed involved, they really, really made a difference. Where that person made a call and just disappeared, they really didn't make that big a deal. And people viewed that person who reported as an antagonist rather than the hero that they should have been. Now, I'm not saying get into everybody else's business, but if you see something wrong, take steps to correct it and make sure it gets corrected. Don't just step up once and say, yeah, I saw that. That was bad. Okay, I'm out of here. 
Because if you do that, it's going to continue and it's probably going to get worse. If you stay involved, you sort of become the hero for those people involved. They look at, oh, this is what a real person's supposed to be like. This is somebody who cares. Rather than this was a busybody who just wanted to stick their nose in and leave. Because women in particular who are victims need someone to be there. I needed someone to be there. It didn't matter who it was. I needed anyone to act like they cared what happened to me. The kids that I had in foster care, they needed someone to act like they cared what happened to them because their personal value has already been taken away just having gone through the abuse. Don't make it worse. And CPS, heads up. There's some changes that need to be made. There are some things that need to be looked at, particularly in Austin, Texas. Please make it happen. you have any final thoughts, Lisa? I've monopolized the entire show again. <laughs> I think you did a great job. I'm not sure I can follow up to that. Um, I, yeah, the only thing I, I do have something I want to say is seek help. There's so many organizations out there. If you're afraid that you can't um, afford counseling, there's there's still ways that you can get help. Um, there's groups that are, that join and that meet that are going through the same thing or have gone through the same thing that you've gone through. Um, there's women's shelters that have programs and and things on those lines. And, don't feel that you have to stay when you're ready to make that move. Know that you have what you need inside of you already to be able to walk away. Exactly. And that's where we're going to leave it. Thank you so much for listening to this really important and not terribly positive show. (laughs) Know that you can get through anything you make the decision to get through. Know that there is help available. And um, you guys have a beautiful, beautiful day. Thanks for listening. Don't get fooled by cut rate networks. Verizon is America's only number one network according to Root Metrics. Join today and get up to $650 when you trade in your phone to cover your cost to switch. Verizon, better matters. New smartphone device payment purchase important and required. Get up to $650 prepaid card for installment plan balance less trade in value. Up to $350 prepaid card for early termination fees less trade in value. Trade in must be in good working and cosmetic condition and be worth more than $0. Line must remain active for six months. Subject to VZW agreements, calling plan and credit approval. Rankings based on 2016 first half Root Metrics U.S. national root score of four to four mobile networks. Results may vary. Visit rootmetrics.com.